In Luke chapter 2 and verse 7, we read these words. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And then in John chapter 19 and verse 17, And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Galgotha. And there they are, the two book ends of Christianity, the manger and the cross. The birth of Jesus, the Savior of the world, and the death of Jesus, the Savior of the world. Born of a virgin, but died at the hands of sinful man. Born to die, but resurrected to live forever and ever and ever. The birth in Bethlehem's manger, we know that Jesus was born in order that his blood might be shed to take away the sins of the world. Easter, we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, whereby there uh, we know that he rose from the dead, he paid the price for the penalty of sin, and he rose from the grave for the justification of all that believe upon him. His birth is celebrated at Christmas. His death and resurrection is celebrated at Easter time. Two major holidays on the Christian calendar that shook the world. And two major holidays upon the Christian calendar that will change your life for time and eternity if you and I will learn to accept, to embrace uh, the message of both Christmas and that of Easter. The image of Christmas is perhaps best remembered as a manger that's filled with hay, aligned with blankets, arranged, if you will, uh, in an animal feeding trough, which was a makeshift crib, a bassinet uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that during that time that uh, surrounded by animals and surrounded by the smell of animals, uh, Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth. He who had walked on streets of gold was now placed in a manger. The king had become a pauper upon this earth. For indeed, within that manger of Bethlehem was not just any baby. It was Jesus Christ, divinity housed in a man. The God of all glory had literally uh, come to this earth and was now placed in a feeding trough uh, where animals themselves were to be fed. And yet this is the best that a teenage girl uh, could give to her newborn child. The manger would no doubt fail uh, modern-day standards of baby cribs. Uh, no doubt it would not pass the good housekeeping seal of inspection. And no doubt it would not f pass any sanitary uh, uh, inspections as well. Yet it was fit for Bethlehem's baby uh, to be more than just a coincidence that he would be born and placed in that manger. It was a God-ordained sign that the Savior of the world would indeed uh, come into this world uh, as a baby, would be wrapped in swaddling clothes, and would be lying within a manger there in Bethlehem. The prophets had spoke about this uh, for centuries before the effect ever came to pass on that particular day. But again, he who walked the streets of gold, he who sat upon a throne in glory was now a helpless little baby uh, there wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger lying in Bethlehem. When the child was born, the Bible said in Luke chapter 2, a 7, that Mary laid him in the manger. The word manger uh, comes from the Latin word uh, mundicare, which means to eat. Think about that, to eat. A manger or a crib uh, of wood or a crib that was made of stone or a food box, if you will, uh, was placed there where animals, the large animals like horses and cattle uh, and donkeys would be able to come and they'd be able to come up to that feeding trough, to that manger and could eat anytime they wanted to. Mangers were located wherever livestock could be found. Uh, they were located uh, many times around the stables, around the corrals and around the caves of that particular time. And farmers would make sure uh, that the mangers would be full of fodder. Uh, the animals could 
come at any given time of the day and they could eat till their heart was content. Uh, the fodder would always be there, always be within that manger. And they could eat their leisure. Uh, they could take their time. Uh, they could digest it. Uh, they could chew their cud all day long if they wanted to because the manger would be full. When Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem, there was no room for them in the inn. Holiday Inn was full. Motel 6 didn't have the light on. And there was only a place they could do was find a cave in the side of a hill where animals were kept. And Mary would not want to take her newborn child and have him to lie upon that cold floor, upon that stone floor, or upon that particular dirt floor that day. So she made use of that which was available, and that was a feeding trough made for animals. Several things about that. It would be lined with hay, which would be comfortable. It would be up off the ground, which would be off the cold floor. And it was deep enough to where the child could be placed in without fear of falling out uh, of it as well. But once laid there, the angel appeared to the shepherd and said to them, go find the newborn Messiah and the sign will be you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes uh, lying there in the manger. And the Bible said they left their fields, they found the child in the feeding trough and they fastened their eyes upon him who would be the savior of the world. Now Jesus was not laid in the manger by accident. I believe the fact that he was laid in the manger not only fulfilled scripture, but the fact that he laid in the manger I believe has a very spiritual, uh, major spiritual impact and symbol. Animals go to the manger for physical food. And yet we know Jesus lying on the hay. We can go to the manger for our spiritual food, if you will. Jesus has an infinite storehouse of nourishment available. We can approach him anywhere. We can approach him anytime. We can approach him under any circumstance of life. Thank God he is our spiritual nourishment that we need today. He feeds us with the word of God. He feeds us as we partake of the Holy Communion. His word is meat to eat for the strong and it is milk to drink for the young. I remind you, we have the word of God. Uh, people today are so hungry and they're looking in all the wrong places and they're looking to all the wrong people. They're drinking from the wrong watering hole. They're eating from the wrong pigsty and yet the whole time the soul of man is so big there's only one thing that can slate the thirst and only one thing that can quench the hunger and that is the word of God himself. I remind you again, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The Word was with God and the Word became flesh and He dwelt among us. It was God's Word that was lying in the manger. And just as animals can come and eat of their leisure, we can go of our leisure and read the Word of God, study the Word of God, digest the Word of God, and have our hearts filled overflowing as we eat from the manger even to this day. The Word of God is always with us. It's the only book you'll ever read where the presence of God uh, and the author is always present with you as well. You eat of this and you'll never go hungry again. Uh, Jesus used, uh, wants us to devour his word. The Bible said, thy words were found. I did eat them and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Know what it says from the book of Revelation. He said, I went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take it, eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter. And it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel hand and ate it up and it was in my mouth sweet as honey and it was soon I had eaten it and my belly was bitter. The word of God is food from the hungry and friend it will enrich your lives not like nothing else in this world will ever do. Take the word of God. Open up the word of God. Chew the word of God. Salute the word of God. Salivate if you will in your mouth. Swallow the word of God. Internalize the word of God. Let it digest within you and let every mineral of his promise 
promise. Let every vitamin of the word, let every nutrient from God's word reverberate and reverberate every organ and every part of your body today, mind, body, soul, and spirit, and you will find that you will have something today uh, that will touch every fabric of your body. There is no other food like the word of God. It has the power to save souls. The Bible said in James 1.21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Thank God not only the infant feeding trough, let me tell you this, the infant in the feeding trough was also the bread of life. Uh, the Bible said it's true, the bread came down from heaven, and whoever eats will have life forevermore. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for life in the world is my flesh. If a person wants to be spiritually well fed, it's important to read the scripture. Apply the word of God to our life. Let me tell you something, friend. If you and I would simply do what this book says, if we would read it, if we would obey it, if we would do it, our life would be a whole lot better off than trying to find some substitute of some junk food, if you will, that can never take the place of God's Word. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy, for without holiness no man shall ever be able to see the Lord. I remind you again, the most powerful sign in the manger was Jesus Christ, the bread of life. He is sustenance for us, and thank God it's a powerful thing as well. The shepherds feasted on it first. They came and saw the baby, the bread of life, uh, still laying there in that manger. And then we know the shepherds uh, left. And then the wise men came from afar. And they looked upon the bounty that God had given to the entire world. Uh, yes, a very small infant baby, but a powerful, powerful force. Uh, a child in simplicity, but came in power. But now it's your turn, and now it's my turn. Jesus, born on that first Christmas, thank God, is food for our souls. The manger was a rough structure, unfit for humans, much less a king. But yet the king entered into this world at Christmas uh, through the manger. By the same token, uh, the part of the corresponding book in, uh, on the other end for Jesus Christ was this. He also left this world upon a rough structure, not fit for man and certainly unfit for a king. But yet we know that to be the cross he died upon. Uh, one structure, a manger, the enduring image image of Christmas. Another structure, a wooden cross, an enduring image for Easter. I remind you this morning, church, two bookends facing opposite directions, yet an undeniable pair. Let's consider the manger and the cross together for just a moment. Notice, first of all, the manger was a structure designed to hold food for common animals, but the cross was a structure designed to hold common criminals. The manger received the Messiah wrapped in swaddling clothes, but the cross received the Messiah stripped of all of his clothes. The manger, Jesus surrounded by two parents. The cross, Jesus surrounded by two thieves and robbers. The manger assigned to draw shepherds, but the cross assigned to draw all mankind. The manger, a place where common men came to worship, the cross, a place where rulers and common men came to sneer. The manger, as Jesus lay there, the dark night was pierced by heavenly light. But on the cross, as Jesus hung there, the sun was obscured by bleak darkness. The manger, 
the shepherds returned from their glorifying and praising God for all that they heard and seen just as had been told them. But the cross, the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return beating their breasts in anguish. The manger in Bethlehem, which means the house of bread, at Jesus' birth, there was declared peace on earth. But at the cross in Jerusalem, which means a city of peace, Jesus died for the sins of the world during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The manger and the cross are looked upon as symbols of celebration in our day. But friend, let me ask you a question. How do you celebrate a manger? How do you celebrate a cross? How do you celebrate a feeding trough for animals? And how do you celebrate a rugged cross where criminals die upon? To give them place of honor would have been crazy in the day the Bible was written. Celebrate a cross, celebrate a manger unheard of. Who'd want to do that? As mentioned earlier, mangers were feeding troughs for animals. His manger was not a beautiful, well-built looking thing. It could have been made out of rugged wood just put together just to hold, just to hold the, the fodder. It may have been a hewed out stone with, with cuts in and everything else. An ugly thing. It was not made, the manger was not made of a thing of beauty that was polished and varnished and, and the sides uh, evenly cut off as something to behold. It wasn't like the, the manger we have behind us or the mangers we have in our home. It wasn't a thing of beauty. It was a feeding trough, smelly and ugly and stinky. It was, a, it was not a function to be pretty. It was a function to work to hold of the hay. It was not surrounded by well-dressed men was surrounded by the waste of animals, surrounded by the fleas and the flies. It's a thing we celebrate today, but why could it be celebrated then? And what about the cross? They were not beautifully made like we have them today. They were not chiseled out with, uh, with, with beauty that men make them today. They were not intended to be hung around the neck and lined in gold and, 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 and embellished, embellished, if you will, uh, by, by, by gems and precious stones. It was never made, the cross was never made to hang around your mirror as you're driving down the road in your car. The cross was not made uh, to put on a steeple somewhere that lights up at night. The cross wasn't made uh, to even be placed in the baptistry like we have. So beautiful in design. That's not what it was all about. It was a rugged piece of wood designed for common criminals and thieves to die upon. They were instruments of torture. Imagine the modern day equivalents if we celebrate. We celebrate the manger. We celebrate the cross. But what would happen? What would somebody think about you or me as believers if we worshipped a hangman's noose? Why don't we have little pendants today of electric chairs and have those hung around our necks and celebrate them? Why do we not today uh, have uh, the gas chambers and have them set up in our living rooms on our mantle, the gas chamber? Or why don't we tattoo a prison across our chest and celebrate all that are incarcerated on the inside? You see, these are not instruments of beauty. So why don't we call a manger and a cross instruments of beauty today? Maybe Paul gives us an image. Why? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 18, 1, 18 and 22 through 24, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For indeed, some ask for signs and many search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to some a stumbling block and to many foolishness, but to others, the power and the wisdom of God. Yeah. Friend, it's fitting today that we should celebrate such common autumns as a manger and a cross. Why? For we preach the message of a manger. 
the bread of life came down. We preach a message of the cross. The Savior of the world died for your sins and mine. That which Jesus touches is redeemed from reputation. It trades in shame for glory. And thank God that that which was godless can now be godly because that which Jesus touches, he changes, praise God. He touched the manger, it changed its reputation. He touched the cross, it changed its reputation. The message, of course, is not about mangers. The message is not about crosses, uh, objects of stone and wood, but the message is about people. And Jesus came down to touch people. He came down to redeem people. He came down to take the grossness, the sin, the evil, the wickedness, the pain, the suffering, all the sins. He came to take it out of your life and he came to take it out of mine. Jesus came to redeem mankind. Not a cross, and he didn't come to redeem an object of, 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 called a manger. Thank God if he can take those things, those objects, and transform them into objects of celebration, how much more can he do in your life, and how much more can he do in my life if he touches us? Yeah. That's the message, of course. In our dirty, filthy, sinful lives, we have little hope in this world, and we have no hope in the world to come. Like a manger, we're broken. We're chiseled, we're imperfect, we're nasty, we're stinky, we're smelly, and we're fit for nothing worth remembering. But when Jesus touches us like he did the manger, we become something of lasting value. We become something of beauty. We become something that's been changed. We become something that's different than what we were. We become useless to becoming useful. We become something from objects of of reputation that's ruined to a man or a woman of God who we can use and would be fit for eternity. We were designed for divine relationship with God. But sin has separated us from that relationship. Sin has robbed God's glory in your life and robbed God's glory in my own. And everything that we touch brings death. And everything we touch brings destruction. But everything he touches brings life and brings resurrection. But because Jesus came to the world, because he came, he touched by his power, we can be born again. We can move away from an old chapter of sin into a new chapter of life. We can move away from death and move into his eternal life. It's not just words in a book. Thank God it's the reality of who Jesus Christ the Lord really is. What he touches becomes clean. Thank God. He touched the manger. It can become clean. He died on the cross. It can become clean. But more than that, when he touches your life and mine, we become clean. Remember what it was like to pillow your heads at night full of sin and guilt and condemnation and pain? Remember those days? Remember crying yourself to sleep at night? Said, oh God, don't let me die tonight. I'm not ready to meet you. You remember the habits that were fastened to your life? You remember the condemnation that you lived? You remember the slave to sin that you were? And what set you free? Jesus. You go to all the, all the self-help groups you want. You can turn over another leaf, but you're still in the same old book. Yeah. It takes somebody with more power and more wisdom and more ability than what man has. And his name is Jesus. i never forget, I wanted to be a Christian as a kid. I don't know, I was probably somewhere around 13 years old, maybe a little younger. And I told my mom, I want to be a Christian. Well, I tried. It didn't last one day. Didn't work for me. You know why? I couldn't change my life. 
I could try all day long. I could put, in the, I put all my trying all the oomph I wanted to and try to have triumph, never got it. When I was 17 years of age, I surrendered to the altar. I said, God, I can't, but you said you could. God, I'm empty, but you said you could feel. God, I've got sin in my life, but you said you could take it away. God, I have no meaning to live, but you said you could give me purpose. Touch me, oh God, and make me clean. I don't understand how it worked, but I know one thing. It worked, and it's working. I'm not all I want to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. The songwriter said it took him a week to make the moon the stars, but he's still working on me. He's still working on you. He's still working on us. And truth of the matter is, he will continue as long as we will allow him. Somebody said, how in the world can a baby born in the manger over 2,000 years ago, how can it change my life today? If I could explain it, I'd be the most sought after man in all the world. But I know one thing. The promise of God was as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, God said, I'm going to send somebody to this earth. And Satan, you're going to step on his heel, but he's going to sever your head. And the prophets talked about it for centuries upon top of centuries. But when the time came, the Bible said that Mary was with child of the Holy Spirit of God overshadowed her. And Jesus Christ was born and placed in Bethlehem's manger. And there they were surrounded. Here comes the angel to the shepherds. The shepherds came and said, oh, our eyes have seen. And the wise men came and said, we've seen his star in the east. We know this is the Messiah. They gave him gifts of gold and myrrh and frankincense. And we know that at that time, uh, Mary picked up the baby and Joseph and Mary head back into Nazareth, the hometown. And then they had to go down into Jerusalem. Purification. Had to offer up a turtle dove or a pigeon for the purification for the woman who just had childbirth. And then they circumcised Jesus at eight days old. We don't know what he did as a child. But I know one thing, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered, the scripture said. And then the scripture said when Christ was 12 years of age, Mary and Joseph had to go up into Jerusalem to keep the Passover. And here you think about this. We don't know much about him, but we know this much. He was smarter than his mom and dad, and yet he still obeyed them. <laughs> Mary and Joseph are heading back down to Nazareth. They go a day's journey, and Mary said, Hey, Joseph, is Jesus with you? Nope. Is he with you? Nope. Oh, my Lord, we've lost the Lord. <laughs> Can you imagine they had been given the responsibility to handle the Son of God, the salvation of the world, and they lose him? Not for a day, but a couple of days. And they look around. They can't find him. They look among their associates. They look here, and they don't know. So they backtrack, and they go all the way back to Jerusalem where they find Jesus in the temple, mesmerizing the doctors and the lawyers of that day. They've never seen a 12-year-old boy with such savvy, such wisdom. And Mary comes in. Jesus, we worried about you. What are you doing here? I am about my father's business. She pondered that in her heart. And I believe they put the arm around him and never let him go again. Back to Nazareth. You notice they lost Jesus during the holidays. It's so easy to get caught up in the holidays that we can lose him. And notice when they lost him, they went looking everywhere for him. They looked here, they looked there, among family, among friends. Many times when we lose our way in the holidays, we look among our family, look among our friends, look among the gifts. We look here and there, parties, whatever, try to find something to fill up the, here. But Jesus is the bread of life. Yeah. He fills us. And you know where they found him? The place they left him. Yeah. And we'll find him the very place we leave him. Just embrace him. But then we don't know much about Christ from 12 years of age to 30. 
Those ribs cured out uh, years. We feel he worked in the carpenter shop along with his stepfather Joseph. He learned to trade. I think he was a good carpenter. He said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He had learned that somewhere. But at the age of 30, John the Baptist comes out of the wilderness baptizing for repentance of sin. And Jesus comes along and he, John said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He preferred before me but came after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloosen his sandals. But fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John. And the Bible said they come up out of that water and the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove, remained upon Jesus Christ and went into him. And the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now Jesus enters into public ministry. Anointed of the Holy Spirit is driven into the wilderness and for 40 days he fasts and 40 days he prays. But he came out of that wilderness with the anointing of God upon him unlike anything people had ever seen. He taught with authority. He spoke with authority. He spoke with wisdom. How he did miracles that people only dreamt about. Opened up blinded eyes. Unstopped deaf ears. Sight to the blind. The lame could walk. The deaf could hear. The lepers were cleansed. The dead was raised. Demons were cast out of people. And they go, what manner of man is this that even the storms say peace to him and they die? What manner of man is this? He speaks to the ocean and they no longer uh, would be tempestuous. They had no doubt what this man was. And they were curious. And they followed him for signs and they followed him for wonders. But Jesus said, I've come to down a cross. In John 6 66, he talks about a cross and they all leave him. In John chapter 2, uh, he talks about they want to see the miracles, but yet Jesus said they committed themselves to Jesus, but Jesus would not commit themselves to him, to them. You know why? All they wanted was the miracles. They didn't want him. They wanted the miracles. Jesus talks about the cross and people leave him. And then we find that he's at the end of the ministry, public ministry. And he prepares for the Passover. And he sends his disciples into a village to find the little donkey that no human has ever saddled or sat upon. And they bring him. He enters in to a triumphal ministry. He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane because he knows that his hours upon this earth are limited. And he tells the disciples, will you watch me? Will you pray with me for an hour? And he takes Peter, James, and John a little further into the garden. And they all go to sleep on him. And three times he comes out, wake up, wake up, wake up. And three times he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup of your wrath that's outpoured upon me, let it bypass me. In other words, God, I know your wrath. I know the penalty of sin. And yet the scripture said that Jesus didn't sin, but he became that sin. And he took yours and mine and bore it in his body. He knew what he came to this earth for. He paid the price for that. Yes, the manger looks good. That's only one end of the bookend. But the other bookend said there must be a cross. In the, man, in, the, in, in the shadow of the manger, there is the cross. The manger is no good without the cross. The baby of Bethlehem is no good without the cross. And yet, he goes into that garden and prays. He comes out, met by a whole cohort of men with their lights and their lanterns and their staves and their swords. And Jesus said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And they all fell back, slain by the power of God. Is it to say, you're not taking me. I'll give myself to you and I'm good and ready. I said again, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. 
And since I'm the one you're looking for, let these other go. And they all left. That's it, friend. Jesus died for all of us that we might be set free. They take Jesus out like a common criminal. They strip him of his clothes. They take him to a whipping post. And a big old Roman soldier takes a cat of 12 tails. At the end of that 12 tails, there's little pieces of bone, metal, rock, whatever, all tied in there. Every time they came down upon his back, there were 12 stripes placed upon him. You take 12 times 39 times and you get what, 468 or 620. I, I, I transpose numbers a lot. You do the arithmetic, the multiplication. From the top of the head to the soles of the feet, he was beaten and mangled to the point that even Isaiah said his vintage you can't even tell it was a man. It was so marred you can't even tell it was a man. And yet it pleased the Father to bruise him. For by his stripes we are healed. And yet we find Jesus then blood, tired, worn, weary, hadn't slept in days, hadn't eaten in days, hadn't rested in days, and now every step he takes is leaving a footprint behind him as he's carrying the cross to Calvary. He collapses under the weight, collapses under the strain and the drain, and the Simon of Cyrene picks up the cross and carries it to Golgotha, and they took the, uh, the horizontal part of the cross and the vertical part and nailed it together and took that beaten back exposed and open. No doubt flies had gathered around that blood-infested body. Blood running down his face where the crown had been implanted deeply into the brow of his head. Blood running everywhere. I don't like these little pictures, little naked babies depicting angels flying around the blood here and a little blood. No, he was beaten that he didn't even look like a man. Can you imagine the blood coming into the eyes and you can't see and the pain on the back and they lay that open wounded body on the cross and nailed him with hands and nailed his feet and put the cross up and thung it down in the ground and there the Son of God suspended between heaven and earth. For six hours, nine in the morning to three in the afternoon, the Son of God suspended on that cross. Where do you think hell was at that? And we think demons were at. They were taunting him, laughing at him. If you are who you say you are, save yourself. You're a has-been. You're a nobody. Can you imagine the voices that he heard during that time? Because when he went into the garden, or when he went into the wilderness to pray for 40 days, he heard the voice of Satan. He didn't hear the voice of God at all. He heard the voice of Satan. I believe he heard the voice of Satan on that cross. You're a fool. You're crazy. You're weak. You're dying just like any mortal man. Finally, from 12 noon to 3 in the afternoon, it got pitch dark upon the earth, and darkness is a sign of judgment. And Jesus from that cross said several things, but one of the most glorious statements he made is, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Such love. And then he cries out, It is finished. And he looks up the best he can, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he died, which said, he said, no man takes my life. I lay my life down, and I will pick it back up again. They went around and wanted to break the legs of the two thieves because they had to break the legs and they had to be dead before the sunset. And they wanted to make sure the legs were broken. But they came to Jesus, they didn't break his legs, so he was already dead. And the Bible said there would not be one bone in his body would not be broken, not a one. So to make sure he was dead, they thrust the sword into his side and outrushed the blood, the water, and the body fluids. 
They took him from the cross, weeping, some cheering. You know, there's always been three crowds around the cross. Those that look upon him in indifference. Well, he did nothing for me, he did nothing against me, but poor old soul, pitiful man, never changed their life at all. That's why many people are in the world. They look at him and just indifference toward Jesus. Then you have others that look upon him and they reject him like the Jew did. He deserved that. He deserved that. Good, he's gone. And there are many in the world that that to Jesus today. A lot of Christ haters. Then you got the third crowd like you and me. We behold the glory of God. And we behold the salvation of our Lord. And we know that we've been born again because of what he has done. But they took the body down and they buried him. And they were so concerned because it was rumored that Jesus would rise from the grave. And that's impossible. He's a man. He died. But just to make sure, we're going to put the government seal upon that tomb and nobody can mess with it. And we're going to station soldiers around just to make sure that nobody bothers it. That body's going to be intact and it's not coming out. And the government's going to see to it. Jesus died. His body was carried into the tomb. But for anything over to it's over. And during that time, the Bible said, if you read the scripture, he went into hell. Peter tells us about that. What he did down there, I don't know for sure. But I know according to the word of God, he went into a compartment or department called Tartarus. That's where some of the angels that had sinned are now in chains waiting judgment. What he said to those angels, we do not know. But we know he went there. But I can't believe, and you've heard me say this before, I can't believe he went somewhere else while he was down there. Into Abraham's bosom, I know he did. Abraham's bosom was a place where all the righteous people from righteous Abel all the way up to the thief that repented on the cross that's where they went because no one had overcome the grave and no one had overcome uh, 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 hell itself nobody had overcome the grave or death and yet Jesus Christ when he died was carried into Abraham's bosom just like any other mortal man would have done but the difference is he's God and he goes into that place looking around and he sees all the patriarchs and he sees them over there waiting on somebody to set him free from Abraham's bosom, waiting to hear him to set free uh, from this place called paradise. And Jesus comes in and he exposes, I believe, who he is to those people. He reveals that I am God incarnate and I have come to lead captives and good gifts unto men. I cannot believe that that day that there was a party going on somewhere down there. I believe they had devil food cake and red pop and devil ham and all that stuff. And they were just having themselves a party because they were worshiping Satan and said, you have defeated God. He died on the cross just like any man. But here Jesus Christ said, devil, I am the one that was alive and died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I've come to get the keys of the death. And I've come to get the keys of the grave. And I've come to lead captivity captive and get good gifts to men. And now we are blowing out of this place. And he ascended right back to the heaven. And now when a child of God dies, there's no paradise. There's no uh, 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 purgatory. There's a place called heaven for the righteous. And Jesus then, after three days, the Bible says there's an earthquake. And the stone of that tomb was rolled away. The stone was not removed to let Jesus Christ out. The stone was removed to show he already was out. The body was not in there. He's alive. Even the soldiers begin to shake going, what happened? He's not in there. We saw him go in there. We had not moved our station. Uh, The seal's on there, but he's gone. What happened? Resurrection morning, praise God. Easter is resurrection. The second end of the bookend of Christianity. And the Bible lets me know that those soldiers were terrorized by that. Jesus was seen alive 
by the disciples, seen alive by Mary Magdalene, seen alive by the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Old John or old Thomas said, I won't believe he's alive until I put my hand right there in that, in that side. I watched him die. I ain't going to believe it. And here comes Jesus. Thrust your hand in my side. Handle me and see if I'm a spirit. Yeah. And he falls down, my Lord and my God. Jesus seen alive by 500 men at one time. And one day they were out on the road in Jerusalem. There at the Mount of Olives. And all of a sudden Jesus just exhausts, right, just disappears right out of their midst. And angel said, why do you men stand gazing to the heavens? The same Jesus that ascended shall in like manner descend again. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Because of the birth, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I stand here flat-footed this morning and proclaim to you the bread of life has come to give you life. And I proclaim to you that's how he can change your life today. Christmas is more than Santa Claus and Easter is more than a bunny. A Christmas is more than a Christmas tree and Easter is more than chocolate candy. It's all about Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world to take away the sins forever. They shall be gone. And he don't just take them away. He gives us something better than what we have. He gives life and he gives that life abundantly. Praise God. I've got to hurry. He ever lives to make intercession for the saints of God. I'd like to invite you this morning to have a part of relationship with God through Christ Jesus. If you never trusted him as your Lord and as your Savior, know that he came to the world to save each and every one of us from our sins and from the judgment of God. Know that the sign for the shepherds was the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. In many houses, shepherds themselves would have been unwelcome, been unwanted, but they know they were seeking a place with a manger, a place where we're used for keeping animals. And they sought Jesus Christ without reservation. People, you may think, I'm not worthy to go to the Lord. Well, these shepherds weren't worthy to go to anybody's house. But they were worthy enough to go to a manger. Amen. You're worthy enough. Let me put it this way. We're none of us worthy enough. But he wants us to come as we are. And it's his worthiness that makes us who we are. There's no outcast with God. You may think that you're unapproachable. God, it's, I can't go to God. Who am I? I'm common man. I'm sinful man. If you knew what was in my heart, if you knew what I did last night, if you knew the habits in my world, if you knew the hypocrisy that I'm living, friend, you can approach God here and now just as you are. Because one day you'll stand before him just as you are. And that day you don't want. Because he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. For the baby on the manger and the man on the cross... Jesus is the risen Savior who has conquered death and the grave and can conquer the sin in your life today. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And the Son of God became the Son of Man that we as sons and daughters of men might become the sons of God. He stepped out of eternity into time to redeem us in time that we might be ready for all of eternity. Yes, the manger and the cross, the two bookends of Christianity. Those two things prove and secure our salvation with the true and with a living God. Trust him. Take him at his word. Christmas is about giving. And Christmas is about giving to people you love. For God so loved the world. He gave when we were enemies. But oh how he wants you to be his friend. And be that friend today. The gift of salvation. Oh it's free to you. It's free to me. But it costs the son of God. Everything that heaven had to give. Father. Father. 